So hello and welcome to episode number 83 of Virtual Team Dynamics, the All Fire podcast. My name is Francis Norman. I'm the founder and principal consultant here at Ulfire. At Ulfire, we specialise in helping you get the most from your virtual teams through understanding how your team members communicate and interact. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about social complexity and project virtual teams. So this um, this follows on from podcast number 81, where we talked about uh, similar but slightly different aspects of complexity and how it impacts project virtual teams. So as with all of our podcasts, there's an accompanying article on the Ulfire website. So please do check it out for additional information. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter, find out a bit more about how we may be able to help you with your business. come to think about complexity and complex projects um, and the way that this impacts and imposes and is impacted itself by virtual teams, um, the uh, the first article podcast that we did around this issue was uh, one around social, uh, sorry, one around structural complexity. We're talking about social complexity today. Um, so structural complexity, we looked at contracts and we looked at some of the other things which set up the, the structure of the project. Um, in this um, podcast, we're going to be talking about the social side of this interaction and how social interaction and social complexity um, becomes part of the challenges that have to be faced when you're managing these uh, these these complex virtual teams. So there's there's a few specific factors which are the uh, which are, which sort of categorise things in this in this space. Um, they are communication, team building, respect, and motivation. And then when you get a little bit further into it, you start to get into some of the rule-based sides of, uh, of social complexity as well. So so the organisational structures, the structure in which your organisation functions and where the people themselves are based. Hiring policies, how you choose, how you hire and how you deploy your people can have a huge impact in, uh, in your virtual teams and in the ways in which um, complexity impacts them. Um, contracts and then the, uh, the processes and procedures with which your business operates. So if we work through these one at a time, um, so the first four in the, in the sort of social interaction side of things is communication. Now, communication has been a huge theme through many, many of the preceding podcasts to this one and uh, a number of articles that, that preceded even the podcasts themselves. Um, how people communicate in a virtual team is one of the biggest challenges. How they communicate, what tools they use, uh, whether they are um, whether they're communicating on a purely task-based level, or whether they are communicating on a little bit of a mix of social and task, or whether they're communicating purely on a social level, and what tools the people themselves choose to use 
as well as what tools you as a leader of the organization will choose to make available to them. All of these different things will have an impact on the communication within your team. So in a in a really complex social structure in a virtual project virtual team, you'll find there are people who will communicate frequently using many, many different um, platforms and very many different media. They'll have people who will be communicating by phone, by using video on their phones, using video um, video facilities in their offices, by audio on their phones, by text message, by email, by pretty well anything that you can dream up with, people one way or another will use to support the communication that they have within their team. As your team gets bigger, as you add increasing number of locations to your project structure, you also find that that it becomes exponentially more complex to to uh, to contain and manage and understand how all of these different uh, these different people will communicate and how they'll meet the needs that the project itself places on them for their communications. So it's the communication side of things is hugely complex. Alongside of that, if you have a project that runs for an extended period, or if you have a project where, let's say, you have um, some personnel who really like to try the latest shiny little tool that comes along from communi- for a communications um, enabler, you'll find that that not only is your com- is your communication itself complex, but also just keeping up with the tools that people use becomes increasingly complex as well. So one of the recommendations that I would strongly advocate through communication within your team is, yes, make available and give your personnel the latitude to choose the tools which best suit their needs, but try and keep the palette reasonably contained and controlled. Now, by that, essentially, what I mean is once you've once you've established a set of tools, try and stick to those tools rather than just bringing in more and more and more different tools as time moves along. Yes, there will be times when completely new tools appear and those new tools will be really relevant and you should be you should explore them and where appropriate, blend them in with everything else that you've got. But just try and avoid some of the temptation to 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 bring the latest app-based bit of communication into your project simply because it's fashionable or because someone else has said oh you know we're using this and look how effective it is and you should really we should really bring it into your project as well so that's that's mostly communications now team building is the second facet in here and team building really is is a huge part of the things that we advocate here at Old Fire as far as the things that you should bring in for your project. Um, team building on a really big project, on a really diverse, multi-centred project can be a very difficult, very complicated exercise in and of itself. But ultimately, humans, we're, we're a very social species. Even the even the introverted sort of technical people who who really seem to enjoy more sitting behind a keyboard, sitting behind a computer, even those people are still at at heart a social animal. So we like to communicate. We like to to feel like we're part of a team, even if we don't necessarily like the people that are in the team. We still like to feel that that team is part of our identity. 
So bringing people together one way or another in a in a considered and structured manner to help build your team is a is a hugely important thing. Now, again, we've talked about this a few times through the through the through the years with this uh, with these podcasts and uh, and with and with posts. Team building should be properly planned. It should be undertaken in a way which is structurally sensible. Um, if you've got a project where you've got, let's say, 2,000 people working in 15 different centres around the world, it's going to be almost impossible, certainly from a finance perspective, to bring all those people together at one time. So you need to find ways to bring key personnel from each location together, ideally face-to-face, but if that can't be achieved, then at least uh, in, a, in an electronic mediated environment of some description where they can share their learnings and where they can get to know one another. And then they can cascade out from there, out to their local teams. They can cascade out the learnings and the team building that's gone through the job. Now, that's the initial phase of team building, but then you need from time to time to rebuild the team. If you find that you've got key personnel that change, if you find that you're going through phase changes in your project, so you're swapping from from one phase of a project to the next phase, any time you have a major structural or systemic change in the in your project team, you should look to have some level of team building. Now, that may not necessarily mean repeating the entire exercise. If you introduce a new Um, department to a project for instance then you need a way to blend that department in but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to bring every single department head together again you need to but you do need to be very um, prudent and very and very considerate in terms of how you do it so team building not do it once do it as often as is necessary and as you work through it and as your project matures you'll find that that uh, that things do change and you, you do need to revisit your your team structure from time to time to make sure it's still current and it's still effective and it's still delivering what you need. Now, one of the things that you generate from the previous two, so from good communications, good open, properly layered, um, contextually sensible communication and from good team building will be respect. Uh, Respect between team members, respect within the team, is a vital part of any properly functioning team. You need your people to have respect with one another. Now, team building is a huge part of the way that many projects will build their their team respect. They'll bring their people together, they get to know one another, they get to work with one another. Alongside of that, uh, in many, many teams, the, the, the respect itself is built on trust or trust itself builds respect, whichever way around you, you want to structure it. It's very much a, um, um, a virtuous circle in that regard. Um, trust for many projects is built on accuracy of delivery and predictability of delivery. So people will trust their colleagues, both their co-located and their virtual team colleagues. They will build, they will build that trust based on how accurately, effectively and consistently they deliver to the expectations that they themselves place on their job. So that then, your team building, of course, helps to build that respect, it helps to build that trust and communication equally. So if you've got something that's slipping, let your team members know, 
uh, monitor what your team members are doing and in other locations, not to the point where you feel that they're being micromanaged or certainly not to the point where they feel they're being micromanaged, but at least monitor them in a, to a sensible level to make sure that, that you're each getting what you need, when you need, how you need. Then the fourth facet to the social interaction side of this is motivation and commitment. Uh, and again, it builds it builds as a as a layered exercise. So you've got communication, which good communication, which is built on team building and which will itself help build the team, which will then help build respect. And a respecting and trusting team will often be one which includes a lot of highly motivated and very committed people. Now, again, not everybody in a team is ever going to be as motivated as everybody else. You'll always have some people for whom the, 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 the work that they're doing is simply a job and their motivation is that at the end of the week or at the end of the month or at whatever point, they'll get paid and they'll be happy and they'll go away highly motivated because they've earned their salary based on the work that they've done. And for those people, then any job is simply a job and they won't be motivated intrinsically by the uh, challenges of the work or the outcomes of the work. For others, they'll be motivated by the work itself and the money will be less important. And for others, again, they'll be motivated simply by the organisation that they work with. They'll feel that, that being part of that organisation, being part of that project or whatever the, whatever the environment is, is the motivation that they need. And you'll find there will be layers, if you like. There'll be Often you'll find the people at the top of many organisations, their motivation is to see their organisation succeed, particularly if that person is the founder of the business or has been key in the establishment of the business. But then as you get a little bit further down, and in a virtual team environment, when you get out into some of the small teams or even large teams in locations where really they're there to deliver a service, the motivation from the work and the motivation from the business can be less apparent and less present than the motivation of being paid well for doing a good job and being recognized for being for, for doing a good job as well. So motivation and commitment is complex, but you need to make sure that it's at an appropriate level at every point through your team to get the best from your team. And if it starts to slip, then you need to go back and look at team building and look at communication and look at how respect is established in there and look for other markers that might indicate that something may be not working quite the way it should. So those are the first four. Now, when we get into the second little batch here, we have what we've referred to as rule-based interactions. So these are the things where the organisation itself imposes particular structural uh, norms or structural criteria which dictate how people will interact socially. The first and most visible for most is the organizational structure itself. So this is um, how you, how you as, a, as, a, as a member of an organizational structure, how you relate to your managers and how your managers relate to you and how you relate to anybody that may report to you and again, how they will report to you. So this, this is something which many, many organizations will define as part of their organizational structure. When you get into projects, it's something which the projects themselves will often define. Uh, if you get into virtual teams, it's often the 
the team by the team location will define the social structure rather than the organization as a whole and this is entirely appropriate since many different cultures will overlay their um, their social norms on how their organizational structure is put together and as such they'll build an organizational structure based on both a formal and an informal environment that sets out how people interact so you may find for instance if you have um, an organization or or a large project where one location has a lot of um, has a very flat social structure where the ceo is very approachable by anybody within the organization and that's the norm because that's the culture in that location that model will not necessarily translate well into an environment with a very rigid structured hierarchical social structure so you need to make sure that each location has a structure which works for it and that the people who are working across the interfaces between the different uh, locations are aware of what those structural differences are and have worked out the best and most efficient and most effective and most acceptable ways to work around and with those those different differences so that's the that's your organizational structure when you get into the next one which is hiring policies this again how you hire and what you hire for will dictate very much what kind of a team you have if you have a policy whereby you will hire um everybody to be and look and work and think the same then you will have an organization that reflects that policy so if you don't bring in diversity as part of your hiring policy that's both diversity from a from a cultural from a gender from a from an age from every other perspective if you if you've got a monocultural mono um I'm not sure what the other word would be there but if you've got a culture where where your organization hires everybody the same then it will be a same same type organization um similarly if you've got an organization which is highly technically based often the policy will be to hire people because they have good technical skills now this can mean that you often exclude people or at least don't consider for hiring people who have very good and very deeply well established um communication skills so again you need to you need to make sure that you balance what you hire uh particularly if you're bringing someone in where a large part of their role is going to be communicating with people in other offices in a large virtual team environment you really do need to make sure that those people come with both the technical skills required to do their day job if you like and also the social and um communication skills required to be a member of a large complicated virtual team and to communicate with their colleagues in other locations So then we get to contracts. Now contracts typically these are what you put in place to deal with external parties. Uh although I would again strongly advocate that you should have some form of contract to deal with internal relationships as well between offices. So you should have an office that's uh, a contract rather that says how office A will relate to office B. what happens if something stops what happens if you have to stand some people down who pays the bills who shares the profits all these sorts of things they should be considered as part of your contractual structure but a large part of the impact of contracts is an external facing one so where your organization where your project contracts to an external party 
Now that can be to buy in services or it can be to buy in uh, goods. Um, this, or it can be to buy in both. You may be buying services to develop goods for your project. Um, historically and traditionally, contracts have been written in an adversarial mode. They've written often very much to um, to move the risk from the buyer to the seller. So if something goes wrong, then the vendor, the seller, is the one who is responsible for dealing with those. Now, if you're just buying um, a pallet of paper or you're buying a, a box full of uh, running shoes to sell through your stores, then that's fine. You can push that risk out because if the goods don't arrive, then it's clear what went wrong and who was accountable for it. Where you're in a complex, multi-centered environment where you're buying in goods and services, you want to have the flexibility of a contract where both parties feel that they can have sensible levels of interaction without having to keep going back to their lawyers and their contracts people all the time. So I would very strongly advocate, and there's been quite a lot of research in this space as well, that you look to a more inclusive and a less adversarial contract. So a contract model where the risk is shared rather than where the risk is all pushed onto one party. A contract model that encourages your subcontractors, suppliers and so forth to, to come up with new ideas and to, to explore different ways to do things and which doesn't penalise them in one area if something goes a little bit wrong, even though in other areas they may be delivering massive benefits to your project. So again, be careful with your contracts in complex social environments because they can come round and, and bite you on the backside occasionally if you if you become too draconian and too prescriptive in your contracting models. Then finally, point number eight is processes and procedures. Now this one sort of fits alongside of both the, um, the organisational structures and the contracts. Many, many, well, virtually all organisations have some form and some level and some extent of documentation that says how they undertake work, how they do particular tasks. Um, normally, and people tend not to think about this, but normally their procedures are written very much from a cultural norm as well. So you'll write procedures that are based around your organisational structure that will say so-and-so does the work, someone in this role then checks it, then someone in that role then approves it. This is how communication moves, this is how contracts are placed, this is how procurement happens. Now, again, these are culturally dictated in many instances. They also can be nationally sensitive. So if you've got a, a complex, multi-centred, virtual team project where you've got people working in multiple different locations around the world you need to make sure that the procedures and processes that you use through your project reflect those differences so don't necessarily say well this project is all being driven out of our home office in wherever and i'm based in perth so i'll say this project is is being driven out of our home office in perth therefore our perth-based australian project procedures and processes are the ones that will be used by everybody. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Look at them and say, well, what works here in Perth and what do we need to deliver out of Perth that fit those procedures? But then look to other offices and look to see what procedures and processes they have and adopt as many of those as make sense overall 
into that office. So, so let the let the procedures that work in your Asian office stay in your Asian office. Let the procedures that work in your Australian offices stay there, and then have some form of overarching processes that dictate and describe how the organisation, how the project holistically will use and combine all of these to get the outcomes that you need. If you start putting new project procedures and processes in over the top of people who just aren't familiar with them, it just adds to the load that they have to do to deliver your project. And what you really want out of all of this is a successful project. Your projects typically are not there to write procedures. Your projects are there to deliver a more, let's say, a more tangible outcome for your business and for your organisation. So it's a messy, messy, complicated world trying to understand social complexity around virtual teams. Um, but hopefully these eight points that I've just worked through and the points that I worked through in the Structural Complexity podcast uh, a few weeks ago will be of some help. So just quickly to go back over them again, uh, under social interaction, social complexity, we have communication. So how your people will communicate and the need to have solid communication plans for the life of the project. We had team building where you really do need to build and nurture your team carefully and rebuild it at each time uh, there's a major change occurs within your project. There's respect and trust, and uh, and essentially without trust and respect, you cannot have a virtual team that's ever going to be successful. The best you'll ever manage will be an average outcome. And then motivation and commitment, and uh, motivated and committed personnel will stay with a complex project to the end, or at least until the end of their role and they'll inspire others to follow them. So it's it's very important that you find those motivated and committed people. Then on the rule-based side of this, you've got the organisational structures. They should reflect the challenges of the business. You should have a reward and uh, a reward structure that is in place to replicate an execution model, not a reward structure which is based around operations and based around old-fashioned do-it-all-in-one-place models. You need sensible hiring practices that bring in a balance of technical and social skills rather than just the technical skills that many businesses typically will hire for. You need sensible contracts that are as seen as enablers and not obstacles. Your contracts, particularly in virtual teams and in complex projects, should be open and enable the work to be done properly. This should not be the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome. And then finally, procedures, processes, um, these should support virtual teams and in complex environments. And if they don't, then don't use them. Find something else. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, it's been a little longer than many we've done of late, um, but I think it was it's a very important field and it's something that, that certainly merited a fairly long, uh, a long recording. Um, if you have enjoyed it, then please do check us out on. Our website, we're at www.ulfire.com.au. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave some comments for us on iTunes. Um, the comments are always good and uh, they help us understand what we need. Um, you can also contact us through the website and I've just given you the website there. So, yes, and I very much look forward to speaking to you in future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.